Brian Chappell says in his book, Christ-Centered Worship, this. He says, Christian worship is a representation of the gospel. By our worship, we extol, embrace, and share the story of the progress of the gospel in our lives. We're in a series on corporate worship called Under the Word. And here, Chapel is defining worship as a re-presenting of the gospel. We can see that in our preaching, right? We talked about a couple weeks ago. We preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We can hear that and say that and sing that in our songs, which we looked at last week, that our singing, our songs are, are a celebration, uh, are a representing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we participate in the Lord's Supper each week, as we do here at Renovation Church, we are reminding each other and representing the good news about Jesus Christ in our worship, in our praying, as we uh, boldly approach the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. We can see the representing of the gospel in our praying, which we're going to talk about next week. So I think it's easy to see that that's what we're doing each and every week when we gather for corporate worship. We are representing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about who He is and all that He's done. And yet, there is a part of our service that may not be as obvious in that regard. You see, after uh, the we have the Lord's table together, participate in it, we uh, call the ushers forward to receive what we call the offering. How does the offering present or represent the story of the gospel in our lives? What about the offering? You may say something like this, well, yeah, that's when I give my 10% so that I don't feel guilty about how I spend the other 90%, right? You may say something like, uh, oh, that moment in the service when they pass the bucket is when uh, I pay God back for all the bad things that I've done. Or maybe, say it a different way, I pay God back for all the good things He's done for me. Maybe you're not overtly saying that, but maybe that's uh, in your mindset. Or maybe that's when someone maybe a little bit more cynical, maybe a little bit more practical, says something like this. That's when they pass the bucket so that they can make budget. So that they can pay salaries and put the lights on and get the equipment that they want for the worship team. It's just a practical consideration to make ends meet. Maybe some of you conclude, I get it. I understand, right? This is an important part. It's an unavoidable reality. Because the church is a business, right? Maybe that's what is happening when we pass the offering plate during the service. So today, we're raising that question. Does the offering, does the time where we ask God's people to respond to the gospel and put uh, their resources in this uh, particular bucket or basket, does that even fit in the context of corporate worship? Is it a proper practice as a uh, manifestation of our worship toward God. Is it all about the overhead? Is it all about the budget? Is it all about just making ends meet? Or is there something so much more profound that is taking place when we give financially in corporate worship? And if it is rightful, if it is appropriate, how should we practice such a thing? That is, how should we approach 
giving in the context of a corporate worship service. So that's where we turn today. Our scripture passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. You may be familiar with it. Again, for those of you who are just visiting today, we're continuing a series, maybe here for the first time or haven't been here for a while, uh, we're continuing a series on corporate worship, looking at all that we do here when we gather on a Sunday morning uh, for corporate worship. We're taking a look at what we do and why we do it, and today we're taking a look at that particular moment in the service uh, where we take the offering. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9 speaks to these things, and so I want to read for you verses 6 through 15. Would love to have you follow along with me. I believe it's projected up on the screen. Uh, If not, grab a Bible, go old school for a moment, and let's flip through some pages. Sound, Sound a little, it's like old school, right? Okay? So let's do it. Verse 6, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The grass withers and the flowers fade and the word of God abides forever and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There's been a lot of discussion lately about, uh, or, or the question has been raised about who is the goat. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you're all laughing already because you've been maybe consumed with the Super Bowl season and this whole conversation about everybody's favorite quarterback, Tom Brady. Right? So, is he the goat? Meaning, everyone goes, that's kind of a weird question to ask. Well, it's just an acronym, right, for the greatest of all time. And there have been these conversations about who is the greatest of all time and comparing Brady to other athletes and all of that, right? So there's just been a lot of discussion about the greatest of all time. Well, to quickly transition, if you've ever read the Bible, if you ever have just a, just a, a cursory glance of it, you will see something uh, crystal clear about the nature of God. He is generous. Did you hear what I said? God is generous. In fact, I'm going to say it. God is the greatest giver of all time, hands down. There's no comparison. There's no conversation. I don't know what your image of God is today, but I want to make it very clear. God is gracious. He is generous. He is a giver. If you go all the way back to the story of the Bible, you'll see just that, that he starts Uh, as the source of life, and he speaks. And guess what he gives with his word? Life. He speaks life, and he gives life to a man named Adam. And he looks at him and says, listen, it is not good for you to be alone, so let me give you a wife. He gave him life, and then he gave him a wife, because it was not good for him to be alone. right? And he gave him a place to live, Eden, the Garden of Eden. And he gave him a blessing. Right? God just continues to give. We've only, we're only on Adam still. 
He gave Adam a blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth together with Eve. He gave them place. And he gave them one prohibition. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat the rest, but you can't eat from that tree. And even in the midst of, because we all know how this story goes, that they disobeyed the command of God. And you know what God did? Yes, he poured out consequences for that. Yes, he covered them. Yes, but he gave them a promise even in the midst of their treason and their sin. He said, one day, I'm going to provide from the seed of the woman a Savior who will crush the serpent. He gave hope. He gave promise even in the midst of such sorrow, pain, and loss. Even in the midst of sin, God gives hope and provision and promise. Right? And he gave a, a, a promise and a covenant to Noah. And he gave a promise and a covenant to Abraham, which included that even in Abraham's old age, he would have a what? Son. And what did God do when all human logic said that could never happen? What did God graciously provide? A son, right? God provided a son. And then, uh, as you see throughout uh, the, the book of Genesis, that they end up uh, in Egypt because God is providing and giving to them refuge from famine. And then they go into slavery. And what does God do? After 400 years, He reveals Himself to Moses. And what does He give Moses? His name. He gives Moses his name. He reveals himself personally to Moses. And in doing so, he is giving the people of Israel who are stuck in slavery a representative of himself who would lead them out of Egypt. He gave them redemption, freedom from slavery. Did they deserve it? Was it because they were so great? Or did God just graciously move in the midst of those people that he had chosen? God is gracious He's generous. He gave them redemption, powerful redemption. And then he gave them the law, his presence. And then he gave them the tabernacle, right? Are you following me? And they continued to rebel and worship idols. And he continued to give and dispense mercy. And he gave them a king. I'm skipping a lot of scripture here. He gave him David, who he gave another promise of a line, a son, that would come one day and be the perfect fulfillment of every one of the promises he had given. And we understand this, that in Jesus Christ, when he was born into the world, that God gave himself to his people. God is generous. He gives what people need, what they do not have, something that they do not deserve. That's who he is that's what he did. That's what he does. He's generous. He gives. He pours out undeservedly to people who deserve the exact opposite. That's the nature of God. That's the story of the Bible. It is a story that reveals a God that gives, that pours out graciously, abundantly, way beyond more than we could ever think, imagine, or ask. That's the God we worship when we come here every Sunday. A generous God. A generous God. I don't know what your image of God is. You may be thinking the whole reason they're talking about this is because God, a God or the church wants to take from me. God wants to take from me. But really, the scriptures teach the opposite. That God wants to give himself to you in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what he has done. God is the greatest giver of all time. Boom. End of story. I love that about God. You know, if you really look back on your life, isn't it just a story of you receiving something God is pouring out graciously? Yeah. You recognize what you deserved and you see what God has given Himself. His love, His mercy, His grace. He's the greatest of all time. And that's what we see John 3.16. The most famous verse in the Bible. For good reason. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but would what? Have eternal life. 
He's still giving life. He's still giving life through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you wonder why you open up the book of Acts, right? As the Spirit of God is given. There's another gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the church in Acts chapter 2. And we're supposed to be shocked. We're supposed to be surprised that all of a sudden we see that they're devoted to to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And that for some crazy reason you 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 read this verse that they held they held all things in common guys that doesn't mean that they were all the same that doesn't mean that they believed everything exactly the same that they had every same experience and every same tradition that's not what it means doesn't mean they had all the same gifts when they held things in common that was their things they shared they as a matter of fact the text goes on to say that the the first church began to sell their possessions. They had come to know this generous God. They'd interacted with, with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus, who, who gave beyond what they could have ever imagined, his very life in death. And they said, well, how should we live in light of this in community with one another? Well, I know. We should do exactly what Jesus did. We should do something in response to that. Why wouldn't we? That's the God we worship. Wouldn't that be the character of the people that worship such a generous God? Would they not become a generous community? And so we see that's what they did. They sold their possessions. They sold everything. And they, 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 they distributed to anyone who had need. Acts 4 says they were selling their possessions and they were bringing the resources to the apostles' feet so that they could distribute to anyone who had need. There was so much distribution taking place that they needed to raise up deacons in Acts chapter 6. Man, there's so much money and so much need We can't manage it all. We're going to give up the ministry of the word and prayer. This was the response of the early church to the grace and generosity of God. Are we to be shocked by that? Are we to be astounded? Well, that's weird. It just seemed natural to them. It made all the sense in the world because of the God that revealed himself in the scriptures. Because of the Christ that they had seen and spent time with. It just made all the sense in the world. Well, of course we're going to do this. Of course, of course we're going to sell our possessions and give it all away. And we come to the context of this passage. We see 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that Paul is pleading with the church of Corinth. Complete, complete the gift that you had the desire to do. I'm sending Titus. Complete the gift. You know the need. You recognize the opportunity. Now complete it. And he went in to talk about the Macedonian church, which was such an example. These people in a severe test of affliction. Out of their extreme poverty, were begging Paul, please let us give. Please let us participate in the relief of the saints. Please, they were begging for the favor of giving. They were responding to the gospel. And so Paul is telling the Corinthian church, listen, there's great need in Jerusalem. There's great need. The Macedonians begged us. They've completed the work. I'm sending Titus. Will you now? Don't just talk about your desire to help, but will you follow through? Will you respond to an act of grace that God has done in your life with an act of grace extending to the life of another person? Will you respond and complete that task? He's pleading with them to give. And so here we are, Renovation Church. We worship this generous God. We enter into this history, this drama, right? We talked about worship being revelation and response. Well, this is the God that has revealed himself to us, a generous, life-giving, life-redeeming, sin-saving, sin-redeeming God. What do we do with this? How do we respond to this act of grace? Well, the simple reality is surely we give. We give. We give not simply to make budget. Not simply to get overhead expenses paid. 
not to pay God back. No, we give in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Giving is all about the gospel. Nothing else, nothing more. Our financial giving, our sacrifices, our contributions, our offerings are all a response to the gospel. We have seen and experienced the generosity of God in its fullest form, Jesus Christ. And we are now saying, yes, we respond to that kind of generosity with our own generosity as we give and gladly meet the needs of others. That's what giving is all about. R.C. Sproul says this, the giving of tithes and offerings isn't a business transaction, but an act of worship. We are responding in God's presence to God. We are handing these tokens back to Him as a way of acknowledging not that the bills must be paid, but that all that we are and all that we have are His. So we do not say one-tenth of our income is yours, but instead we say this, I have been bought with a price. All that I have received is from your hand, and you have made me but your steward, your manager. And all that I have belongs to you alone. Amen? Amen. This is about the gospel, responding to the generous God of the gospel even liturgically, and what I mean by that is just the structure of our worship service. I learned a little bit this week about this. I'm, I'm very encouraged by this. I think it's quite profound. The history of the church, the offering has been typically placed in two sections in a worship service, okay? So if you think about adoration, is where we start. Praise God. Confession, we're not God. We've fallen short of God, right? Then, as we confess our sins, we receive the assurance of pardon. All right? For as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Right? And then, out of that comes a, 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 in the structure of worship, thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. And then you go into instruction. And then uh, fellowship, communion. And then uh, you go into a benediction and a charge. These are kind of the elements of worship that liturgically structure. Do you know where the offering has been typically in the flow of that? Two particular places. It's in the thanksgiving part. So after praise has been given, after confession has been made, after pardon has been extended, the people of God respond in worship, what? To grace with what? An act of generosity, an act of grace, an act of worship. It's a part of our grateful response to the God that has saved us from our sins. And the other section that it has also been in, which we have been participating in thus far in the life of our congregation, has been in the fellowship part. It's a time where we recognize the needs of others, the needs of the ministry, and so we fellowship with one another. We consider that we share all things in common, right? So if you see where that fits in, I think it makes a lot of sense with where it places liturgically. The point is this, it's a response to the gospel. It's not paying God back. It's not even ultimately paying the bills. That's not what it's about. It's about responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, and Paul's giving some instruction about what a generous, uh, or what about what a response to the gospel looks like financially. First of all, he says that we, when we give in response to the gospel, we do so generously. He says this, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Then he goes on later in um, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be what? Generous in every way. That a proper response to the good news about Christ, his generous provision for us is to respond not minimally, not conveniently, but generously. That our heart 
Christ's desire should be to represent that, to, to respond generously, bountifully. Next, we'll go back to that in a moment as to why. Next, he says this, that when we respond to the gospel, we give cheerfully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, but what? For God loves a cheerful giver. I think in many ways, generations that have come before us, and maybe even some of us now, have given only out of a sense of duty. This is what I have to do. This is my 10% that I have to give. I'm just speaking traditionally in those terms. And then the rest of it, I can, I'm free to do whatever I want with, basically, right? Dutifully, almost begrudgingly. Oh, man, look at how much we've got, and we've got to tithe, or we have to give. Oh, there's this begrudging, oh, we've got to do what's right. Listen, I'm not saying, you know, forget this whole authenticity hoo-ha well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to give. That's not what I'm arguing for today. Okay, we love that authenticity thing today. Like, oh, well, I, I didn't give because I, I didn't really feel like it, so I didn't want to be fake. You know, I'm not arguing for that kind of authenticity here. Okay, well, good for you. I'm so proud of you. Thanks for being real with us. Really made a difference in all of our lives that you were real. But I think there's a sense where the giving, the, the response that, that God is seeking from us in any form, and, and, and including financially, is, is that this is something that our heart wants to do. This gives us joy. That we're not coerced into this. No one's sending us a bill. No one's invoicing us. This is no liability in that sense of the term. It is not a debt to pay back. No, that's not what we do. But this is a incredible opportunity to respond to the gospel and to cheerfully and joyfully give what God has given to us to meet the needs of other people and to support the work of the ministry. And so God longs for us to be cheerful, right? Each one must give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, don't hesitate, not under compulsion, no one's forcing it. God loves a cheerful giver, right? And so we respond to the gospel by cheerfully giving. And I think last, and I think it in many ways gives a reason why we can be generous and why we can be cheerful, is this. When we give in response to the gospel, we do so faithfully. Faithfully. That is, when we give in response to the gospel, we're doing so as an act of faith. An act of trust in what? The fact that God is able to make all grace abound to us. Verses 8 through 10. He's able to provide sufficiently all things at all times for His children. So that we may abound in every good work. He goes on to say, He who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, there's good reason for us to be generous in our giving. There's good reason for us to be joyful in our giving. Here's why. Because we can do so trusting that God the Father will provide for every one of the needs of His children. Amply provide for us. We never need to go about concern about whether or not God will provide for every one of our needs. Now understand this, I know we have a very distorted view of needs in 2018. But when it comes to our real needs, God will provide for them. We have no reason to be anxious. He is a generous God and He is a faithful God to sufficiently supply for every need that you have. Some of the biggest obstacles to giving... And being generous are fears that we will not have enough to make ends meet. And what the scriptures teach is, is that when we trust God, and we give, we can do so being rest assured, being assured that what? Every single need that we have will be met. Listen to this. If He's able and willing to provide for your greatest need, Salvation from your sins. 
The need for righteousness, which he's talking about here. The need for righteousness. He is able to provide for every temporal, material need that you actually have. You have no need to worry. If God is gracious enough to restore you back into loving relationship with Him, to give you right standing before God, is He not able to make sure that you can put food on the table for your family? I think He's able. God is able. God is able to make all things and all grace abound to you. You will have sufficiently in all things at all times. And He does all that so that we might what? Abound in every good work. To be generous. To be joyful. God loves a cheerful giver. So the question really for us today is do we trust God with our resources? Appreciate Rick Warren's comments on some of this stuff. I don't always agree with exactly everything he says and how he says it. But I really appreciate his uh, poignant and direct comments as he's speaking to a group of pastors about giving, about generosity. He says this. He says, you trust God with your salvation, but you don't trust Him in your giving? He says, if you don't trust God with your money, you don't trust Him. Thud. Right? If you don't trust God with your money, you don't trust Him. And I think really what we're trusting Him for and placing our hope in Him for is that really when we give, we're sowing a seed bountifully, right? And it's not so that we can claim some twisted, distorted uh, promise that if we give a lot, God will give us a lot, meaning monetarily. Hey, if I am wicked generous with my money, God will be wicked generous and make sure I have a lot more money. As if God were some means to getting more resources from His hand. You know what God does? He does reward those who are generous, though. Jesus talks a lot about it in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy but store up for yourselves where? Treasure in heaven. And how do we do that? We do that by giving. We do that by being generous, by sacrificing the resources that God has given to us. When we hoard and claim and hope for only the resources, the material temporal blessings that this world offers us, and when we give to God in hopes that He's going to give us a new BMW, we have a distorted understanding of reward. We're confused about the gospel. God is not a means for greater American prosperity. Let's just say that straight up. God is a means to righteousness. God is a means to security and peace and knowing that the Father will take care of every single need that we have. And nothing can ever take that away. And we can understand this, that God does bless the generous. God does reward those who sow seed bountifully. God does give heavenly treasure to those who place their hope and faith in it by being generous with their earthly temporal possessions. As he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You will either serve one or the other. Matthew chapter 6. So when we give, we're trusting in provision. When we give, we are hoping for eternal reward. Does your eye, does your imagination dream of heaven? Or is your dreaming and your hoping someday you will sit on a seashore enjoying the weather and enjoying the fruit of your labors? What are you living for? What are you hoping in? The way you spend money and the way you give or not give in the context of community and corporate worship tells a big, a very clear story about what you hope in and what you wait for. Man, these are challenging words for me. I'm just going to be straight up. Punch in the gut. What are you working for? What are you saving for? What are you longing for? Is it just the enjoyment of these days? 
a better tomorrow. You want to know why giving has a rightful place in the context of corporate worship? Because giving has a direct connect to our heart, right? And worship is a matter of the heart. And giving has a direct connect to the treasure of our heart, to what we love, to what we work for, to what we aim for. Giving has a direct connect to that. You can say you love God. You can say you love His church. You can say you trust Him. But if you do not give, Rick Warren just, boom, you don't. You don't. And he said to those pastors, let me see your bank statements. I'll tell you what you love. I'll tell you what you treasure. The truth is in the transactions, right? You've heard me say that before. You don't know your heart? Look at your bank statements. It tells you what you love. We can easily make excuses about this. Well, yeah. the truth is in the transactions. Money's directly related to the treasure of your heart. Jesus made that connection. And when we worship God with our finances, when we worship God with our wallets, when we give, we are saying to one another and in worship of God, there is no greater treasure than Jesus. There is no greater treasure than Christ, His salvation. And because of all that I have received from Him, I can easily let everything else in this life go because I'm hoping an eternal reward. And you know what? All I have is Christ, as we sang. So we do so faithfully, cheerfully, generously. And let's not forget, when we give in response to the gospel, we do so lovingly. Right? There is a real need in this passage, in this context. People of Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem was in dire need. And churches were gathering resources to give to churches to support the people and the ministry that was taking place. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, when we give, we love each other. It's an act of love. When we don't give, we show indifference. When we don't respond to need, we, we show practically, not emotionally, practically, that we don't care. When we're unresponsive to human need, it shows that we don't care. I think it's, just, it's a hard message for me to hear. I don't know about you. But that's the truth. But on the flip side, to be more positive for once in my life, when we do give, you do love. You do supply. You do meet the needs. I think about some of the ministries that we support at this church. I think about Sasha Halleck who felt a deep call to go to Brooklyn to present the gospel to, to students there. I think about our monthly investment into his family. And all that he's going is they're raising special needs children in New York City. They have to. I mean, we were down there just seeing their context this winter, and it's just it's remarkable to see where they are and the challenges that they face, and yet it's amazing to see how our, our supplying of their need is leading to the reaching of students. We're meeting his need. What about Rainier Martinez in the city? Reaching the Latino community. How about the times when people come to us and they say, I can't pay the rent, I need help, and we're able to extend support to them? That's because you have generously given. You have participated in their need. You have supplied for them amply because of your confession of the gospel. When you respond to the gospel and care about people's needs, guess what? Those needs are lovingly met. It is an awesome thing. And if I can just add a little bit of a layer to this, that when we worship give with our giving, it's not just in response to the gospel, it is a display of the gospel. That when we give, we're displaying the gospel to one another. Nobody builds you. You freely gave. That sounds a lot like Jesus. You saw need and you responded 
and you gave of yourself to someone else. So every single time we call the offering uh, buckets forward and the ushers and we pass them, every time we do that, what are we saying to one another? God has provided freely, voluntarily, generously, graciously to sinners. We show each other the gospel every single time we give in the context of corporate worship. And when other people see that, they say, they, they don't have to conclude, oh, they're just paying the bills. No. The reason we give is to, is to respond and then represent, to display the good news about Christ's free, voluntary, sufficient, saving, giving of his life and death for us. Isn't that awesome? I think that gives me so much of a different perspective as I approach giving in the context of corporate worship. I'm not saying you need to do this. And again, we have to be careful. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. This isn't like making a public spectacle. But I've called into question whether or not I want to give online anymore. Because that, it just seems like out of touch with what I'm doing in the, in, in the context of corporate worship. Again, this isn't a command. This is a preference. This is a Mike Maisie preference. You, you, you give in the way you sense the Lord is calling you to give. But Dorian and I have just been talking about this, and it's like, we sh- if that's what we're doing here, if we're giving here as a response to the gospel, if we're giving here as a display of the gospel then maybe we should do this here. Maybe we should worship God in worship as worship. I don't know. Something for you to ponder. But in the end, why? And I'll wrap it up here. Why do we give? We give for worship. Wait a minute. Yes. We give in worship. We give as worship. And ultimately, why do we give? For worship. Look at what the text goes on to say. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will what? Produce thanksgiving to God. Goes on to say what? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many what? Thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will Glorify God because of your submission that comes out of your confession of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable, inexpressible gift. Why do we worship with our wallets? For worship. We worship in worship, as worship, for worship. The ultimate aim of the gospel is for God to be worshipped, for God to be glorified. That's the ultimate reason for why we give. It's not about budgets. (laughs) It's not about bills. It's about the glory of God. That's why we give, for worship. Our mission, to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship so that what? Every man, woman, and child will have a repeated opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel through faith so that they worship Him. At the end of the day, mission exists because worship doesn't, John Piper says. It's all about worship. We long for and crave for God to be worshipped. Here, in this world, to the ends of the earth, we want people to be thanking God for His grace all over the globe. And that's really been the mission of the church from day one. That's why people are willing to sacrifice and do so cheerfully and do so generously because there's one passion undergirding it all, the glory of God, the praise of God, the worship of God. And you know this. You've experienced this, I presume. I'll never forget 2010 where we had made a decision as elders um, and none of us had dual income, so it's like single incomes. We were like, down at Missio, we're going to have to cut salaries in half. We were like, that was four of us. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that God provides, and we're going to trust God that He's going to provide. And I remember one month, I think it was the first month, for some reason, I don't know how it was only this amount, but we were $500 short. 
We were praying, God, provide. And I'm telling you, the day we prayed was the day a check came in the mail. We went to the mailbox, and you know what we got in the mail? $500 in the mail. And you know what we did? We gave him praise. We worshiped God. So when that person felt led by God to be generous and sacrificial, they worshiped. They worshiped God with their wallet. And you know what it produced in us? Worship. So we worship with our wallets so that people will worship with their hearts and their lives and their mouths. All of this is about worship. It's all about the worth, the adoration, the praise, the revering of God. That's why we give. Worship leads to worship. Period. End of story. And that's why we do it. Worship is so important to this congregation. That's why we're preaching about it. That's why we're talking about it. And that's why we give. Because when we give, we respond to the gospel. When we give, we display the gospel. And when we give, we uh, go after the ultimate aim of the gospel. Worship. Glory of God. Isn't that awesome? This is no small add-on in the service to pay bills. This is about the gospel. So application, give, give. And maybe it's more proper to say this, first you must receive. If you're here today and you've never heard of this generous God, and you want to know Him, and you want to uh, uh, have a relationship with this kind of God, maybe your image of God is completely different. Our encouragement to you is to see Him for who He really is, very, very generous the greatest giver of all time, and receive His provision in Jesus Christ by receiving it by faith. Receive first. Receive first. That is the gospel that God has given, that God has done, that God has supplied for you. And so our first point of application is receive. And if you have received, it is give. Give. This hasn't really been about the practice of giving. It's been about how we give and why we give. But please, give in worship, as worship, for worship. Give. You trust Jesus, trust Him with your resources. If you love the church, love with your resources. If you love meeting the needs of other people and supporting ministries, do so. Give generously, cheerfully, faithfully. Give. And you say, well, I am giving. Praise the Lord. But maybe the time has come for you to reevaluate why you give and how you give. So do that today. Evaluate your giving. Are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving generously? Are you giving faithfully? Okay, evaluate your giving. And last but not least, grow in your giving. In that same message, Rick Warren uh, said something. Again, remember, he's speaking to a group of leaders and pastors, and he, and he challenged the people in the room. He said, I want to challenge you and your wife, he's talking to pastors and their spouses, to make a decision to be more generous every year of your life. And he went on to share a testimony about how he and his wife, when they first got married, said, we are going to increase the percentage of our giving every year. That's, that's pretty radical commitment that they made. right? Pretty radical commitment. Why did he make such a commitment? Was it about the, the percentage? Was it about the amount? No, it was about his desire to grow in his responding to the gospel. He just wanted to grow in this. He wanted to grow in generosity. And so practically, they planned to do that. Let's do that then. If we want to grow in this, let's plan to grow in this. And so he said 38 straight years. He said some years it was only a quarter of a percent. In some years, it was much more than that. 
But he said for 38 years, they grew in percentage in their giving. And I think that's a powerful testimony. We don't have to mirror it exactly. It's not about doing what Rick Warren did. That's not what I'm saying. It's really just an illustration to say, grow in this. Grow in this, right? Trusting in the Lord, knowing that He will reward your cheerful, generous, faithful giving. But remember, we do so, not only that, but to grow in uh, the bringing about of mission and ministry and worship in our world. But please, don't miss it. We give as a response to God. We give as a display of the gospel, and we give for the ultimate aim of the gospel. That is the glory of God. So let's do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you because you are generous. The understatement of the year, oh God, is that you are generous. Without needing to go through every example in the scriptures, we can simply conclude that by nature, you are gracious and merciful, and you have not withheld one blessing from your people. You have even poured out your Son, Jesus Christ, to meet our greatest need. You showed your love. You showed your mercy. You showed your uh, provision, your power, your ability in Jesus Christ. And you are faithful as you always provide for every need that we have. And so together we praise you, O oh God. And we convey our trust in you. And we pray that if Renovation Church were to be known about anything, may it be known to be a generous people, a gospel people, in its generosity. And I pray that as we do that, that worship, more worship, will be given to your name, for it deserves it, O oh God. And all Christ's people said, Amen. Let's stand and praise Him.